Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there, I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello, guys. <laughs> you sound very tiny today. <laughs> it's very late at night, it's very rainy outside, so I'm I'm kind of in that zone where I'm kind of getting a little bit tired, but I'm also getting like the, you know where you get that like spike of energy right before bed? Some people, yes. Yeah, that's what that's what's happening for me. Some of us just pass out on the couch. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, before we get to today's episode, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us. Because, oh yeah, the theater moves around. It's never in the same place twice and is a mystery as to where it'll pop up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. Yeah, and so far the trip has been... A lot of fun. We've seen some really great classics, and tonight we're doing a little bit more of a modern classic, uh, but it's still one that I'm excited to get into. Yeah, I was really excited to be doing this one as well. Of course, it's another one of my favorites. So, of course, we had to figure out what we were going to do for our first few episodes. There's so many different horror movies to choose from. So for our first few movies, we decided to go with the classics and have deferred to one of the definitive names in horror culture and are using online horror magazine Bloody Disgusting's list of best horror movies of all time. And this week, we're doing another classic, The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and I was so excited to get into it. I think I've mentioned, uh, at least to you before, that I know that I haven't seen this um, in my adult years. It's been many, many years since I had seen the movie, so I was really excited to see if it held up, see if I, you know, remembered things differently, you know, just basically see it for the first <laughs> first time in many years. And so, yeah, this just gave me that excuse to do it. And so I I was really excited to get into it. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in a while as well. Uh, but of course, being one of my favorites, I used to watch it all the time previous to, I, I don't know, I guess I just <laughs> kind of decided to stop watching it subconsciously. <laughs> I don't know. But watching it again, it's one of those things that all comes back to you and, mm -hmm. and you immediately remember what's coming up and, and you know your favorite lines are coming and it's so great to watch these favorites over again. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get into the thick of it, of course, you know, as I've mentioned before, this is a podcast that we wanted to have as a place where we could talk about 
horror movies casually, a place where we didn't have to tiptoe around things. Um, so this is going to be your warning for the fact that we're going to be spoiling everything here. <laughs> it's going to be no holds bar conversation. And if you haven't watched the movie and you don't want us to spoil things for you, pause it now, go watch the movie, come back and hang out with us and talk about it. But yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to spoil some things. So definitely check out the movie. It's oh, it, This is one of those that I definitely think is worth checking out if you can stomach it. It's so good. Let's get into it. All right, The Silence of the Lambs, here's the wiki. The Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 American psychological horror film directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Ted Talley, adapted from Thomas Harris's 1988 novel. It stars Jodie Foster as young FBI trainee Clarice Starling, Ted Levine as serial killer Buffalo Bill, and Sir Anthony Hopkins as brilliant psychiatrist and cannibalistic serial killer Dr. Hannibal Lecter. It became the third film to win Academy Awards in all top five categories, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It is also the only Best Picture winner widely considered a horror film and one of only six horror films to have been nominated in the category with The Exorcist, Jaws, The Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and Get Out. The synopsis for The Silence of the Lambs is Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn, wants Clary Starling, a top student at the FBI's training academy, to interview Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist who is also a violent psychopath serving life behind bars for various acts of murder and cannibalism. Crawford believes that Lecter may have insight into a case and that Starling, as an attractive young woman, may be just the bait to draw him out. All right, so how this works is Danny and I watched this a couple of days ago. We took our notes and we have been so excited to talk to each other about it. We keep almost, <laughs> we'll bring it up and say, oh, do you remember that thing? And then, oh, wait, 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 no, don't talk about it yet. <laughs> so here we are. We, uh, we've made it. Yeah, the moment's here. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. So we're starting out in the woods near Quantico, Virginia. And we know that's exactly where we are because it says it in the lower right-hand corner. Woods near Quantico, Virginia. Yeah, we won't forget it. <laughs> so here we are very quickly introduced to our heroine. It is Clarice Starling, and she is running the obstacle. Yeah, that's exactly one of the first top notes that I took was that scene really kind of sets up from the get-go the strong female lead by showing her kind of run that obstacle course. And I like how that, that opening scene really establishes that from like I said, from the opening scene. <laughs> yeah, kind of by showing her physical prowess, you you kind of understand she's she's a tough person and someone we can get behind as our hero. Mm-hmm, for sure. I also like the sign that we get to see that uh, I suppose is supposed to be inspirational as they're running this course. It just says, hurt, agony, pain, love it. <laughs> love it. I, I think that should be the new kind of live, laugh, love. I like it. Just hurt, agony, pain. Love it. It's on, I mean. Let's put it on wine glasses. Yeah. I'd buy it. I'm that bitch that would buy that because I'd be like, yeah, relatable. I get it. <laughs> this one speaks to me. 
<laughs> so Clarice gets pulled off the course to go speak to Jack Crawford, who is the head of the behavioral science unit of the FBI. He is he's the head honcho. Yeah, and then we immediately see her walking into uh, the department, and again, we're shown pretty much from the get-go that she's like one of the few ladies in this obviously male-dominated world. Oh yeah, she gets on the uh, the elevator, and it's full of guys who are about a foot and a half taller than her, mm-hmm. and she's just kind of standing there in the middle. So we're establishing very quickly that this is a man's world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it is cute how she kind of like just slips in there because she's like you said everybody else is so tall she just kind of slips in there and she's so tiny compared to everybody else in the elevator and then even when she walks into the actual offices area everybody kind of inherently looks at her you know she is kind of this force that comes into the office and yeah everybody that's in there is is a guy and so yeah it just further establishes that you know she is one of the few women out there trying to achieve that goal of getting into that world. So Crawford has an assignment for Clarice, and he wants her to go and interview this guy named Dr. Hannibal Lecter. But he's not just any doctor. No, at least not one that I would want to go to. <laughs> well, he was a doctor of psychiatry, psychology. One of I get him confused. Yeah, yeah. One can write prescriptions, one can't. He shouldn't do anything. <laughs> he really shouldn't. Uh, it turns out he's a terrible murderer who happens to eat his victims. Yeah, he has a cute, fun little nickname, Hannibal the Cannibal. I feel like when you can establish yourself a little moniker like that, you really made it. Well, luckily, uh, this terrifying person has been caught, but he's not in prison. He is in a high-security psychiatric ward. Yeah. So Clarice travels out to meet Lecter, but of course, to get to him, she's got to talk to the guy who runs the place. <laughs> Skeezy guy number one. Oh my gosh, he's just so slimy. Yeah. It's like he was the kid in school that told on everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect way to describe him. Even in my notes, I wrote down that it's a dr chilton hitting on starling is so creepy and unnatural because like it's it doesn't even feel like he wants to be doing it like it feels like he's being forced to be doing it or something like he feels like he has to be doing it and i don't know if maybe that's just the actual acting part i don't i have no idea but it just (laughs) skeeves me out (laughs) yeah it 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 was just awkward Mm -hmm. absolutely awkward well, of course, he also has to give her the rules, and it's, do not touch the glass, jail. Do not approach the glass, right to jail. <laughs> you wear a sweater, jail. <laughs> Look at glass, jail. And of course, he also explains the consequences of getting too close to the glass, and uh, that was someone who Lecter got a hold of and uh, ate her tongue. You know. As you do. A bad work day. You need snacks. <laughs> Comfort food, really. Yeah. We all get it. We've all been there. The vending machine is out of Snickers. <laughs> what are you supposed to have next? I mean, tongue. Exactly. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> tongue, the alternative Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we all get it. Stay away from the glass. So... <laughs> Now Clarice has to take, like, this walk of terror 
and by herself. Like the guy like doesn't even offer to at the very minimum like walk her down there. Yeah. It is just like this horrifying walk past all these cells of these mentally unstable gentlemen uh, who probably haven't seen a female in quite some time. Yeah. And certainly do not know how to behave appropriately around a female. No, no. It's a, not a great walk to be making. Yeah. Again, it, by herself. Yeah. And I love the way the tension is built up in this moment. I mm-hmm. mean, we follow along with her as she's slowly approaching down these corridors and makes it to where the cells are. And then we just, we see what she sees. Mm-hmm. And it is just, it makes your skin crawl. Yeah, because you can see, I mean, she's so good in this movie at really making you feel what she's feeling. And yeah, in that scene particularly, they do a really good job. At, you know, she's had like her eyes are darting. And you just begin to feel like that panic that she's feeling walking towards the end of that hallway. And that, I mean, it's, it's a spooky scene, but it's it's a really well done scene. I think definitely on the tension building, like you said. Yeah, it. I kind of liken it to you're walking into an abandoned psych ward, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the inmates aren't ghosts yet. It, yes, perfect. I Chef's mean, kiss. <laughs> it's just it has that total feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, there he is. We now have our meeting. Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Oh, my goodness. And the way that he is introduced (laughs) is just spectacular. Yeah. You know, there's this whole thing that Jonathan Demme does when he directed this movie. There are certain scenes where the character looks directly into the camera. Mm Mm-hmm. And normally that would be very distracting because that's considered breaking the fourth wall. You never look directly into the camera. Mm -hmm. But it's done in a way that you almost don't even notice it. Yeah. But it really gives you a connection not only to that character, but to Clarice Starling's character. Because you're seeing everything through her point of view. And so it's like you now are making that connection with that character. And it really draws you in and makes you feel like you are a part of what is going on. And that certainly happens when you get this connection with Lecter, when he just stares directly at you. Yeah, I, I know that was one thing that I was super eager about this this time watching because That was something that came up uh, when we briefly talked about this movie on the episode that we covered it on our other podcast, Creepy Caffeine. You talked about the breaking the fourth wall in that situation. And like I said, it had been years since I had seen the movie, so I couldn't really remember it. So having that on my mind, I was super excited to see how that, you know, be conscious of that going into the movie. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, it was really well done in such a way that you really don't know. It's not noticeable, uh, but it is, is effective. I guess I should say it's not noticeable, but it's effective and it's well done. Yeah. And you and I had read a little fact about how when Hopkins was preparing to play that role of Hannibal Lecter, he kind of based it on a friend that he had that very rarely blinked. 
and kind of within his circle of friends, that was just kind of a, a known thing that made everyone just feel a little uneasy because <laughs> this guy didn't blink very often mm-hmm. and it was just it kind of off-putting. And he kind of likened that to reptiles mm-hmm. and how they don't blink out of reflex, uh, just subconsciously. They mm-hmm. only blink purposefully and not very often. And that's what he does in this introduction scene is he just stares at the camera and you'll notice when he does blink, you can tell it's very purposeful Mm -hmm. and it's almost robotic. Yes. And it's almost like he's trying to remind you that he's a human being, Mm -hmm. but you know that he's something else inside. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the perfect way to to describe it. And I I know whenever we found out that fact, my initial thought was, would I even notice that? Like, would I notice a person not blinking? And you immediately were like, well, yeah, if, if a person's not blinking, you would notice it because it's like the lack of something normal happening. You would immediately notice that. So I'm interested, actually, in our listeners' response to that question. Like, do you think that you would genuinely notice somebody not blinking? You mean just, like, casually? If you met someone who wasn't purposefully trying to be creepy, like Hannibal Lecter, yeah. and they just weren't blinking, would that be noticeable? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would be. I think after a few minutes of having a conversation, I would just be like, has this dude blinked at all? Yeah, I don't know why. It's just like, like it wasn't really until you read the fact and then, you know, we kind of conversated about it that I was like, oh, yeah, he really doesn't blink a whole lot. In this movie. So it's like, it took you telling me for me to realize that. So that's what I mean. Like, it, I don't know if I would consciously notice it, but I mean, <laughs> I'm just genuinely curious now if I would notice if somebody doesn't blink or not. So there you go. <laughs> Question of the day. <laughs> so then we have Lecter asking Clarice what Miggs had said to her. And, and Miggs is the gentleman in the cell next to Lecter. And without skipping a beat, she says very honestly, I can smell your cunt. Yeah. And again, that's what happened whenever she was walking down the hallway to Lecter. He yelled that to her. And it's so aggressively done and it catches you off guard. Well, he's jumping on the bars. It's literally like he's an animal. Yeah. Like he literally can't help himself. But I love Lecter's response to that. And he repeats the line, and he says, Ah, I can smell your cunt. I see. I myself cannot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then I do enjoy the next line where he goes on to say what she does smell like, because I I think it only heightens our awareness of how peculiar he is. You know what I mean? Just the quirkiness, and and, and everything is just so monotone and so even-keeled, and... I remember the first time seeing that movie and seeing that scene, I was just like, it was one of those things that kind of gave me shivers. I was like, ugh, I don't like that. (laughs) I'm not a fan. So every time I see that now, uh, it's just one of those things that I'm like, it's just so creepy every time I see it. Yeah, he was very good at constantly making you feel uneasy. Mm -hmm. And I like how that whole little question was simply done to establish a trust between the two because that's a lot for someone you just met to ask you to repeat something a word that is 
pretty taboo. Yeah. And so for her to just plainly say it without skipping a beat shows that they can have this kind of communication. Yeah. That's just everything's just going to be straightforward and honest and on the table. Yeah. And also telling him, you know, I'm just as mature as you are because he he's very obviously aware of how smart he is and how wise he is. And, you know, he has a very big ego because of that. And so, yeah, I think that was just another way to be able to say, like, look, I'm not fucking around here. (laughs) I'm serious and this is my job and I'm here to have an adult conversation with you and I want answers. And by repeating that instead of being like, I I can't say, you know, I think it established that ground for sure. So they actually start to have a little back and forth and start talking about this serial killer named Buffalo Bill. And it's starting to be clear that possibly Clarice has been sent in to see if she can enlist Lecter's help uh, in figuring out who this serial killer is, this Buffalo Bill guy. And everything seems to be going pretty well until she wants him to fill out a questionnaire and he gets pretty pissed off. Yeah, he pretty quickly immediately shuts down the conversation. And of course, in his little outburst, that's when we get the famous line about how she doesn't want to cross him because a census taker once tried to test him and he ate her with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Yeah, which sounds lovely, honestly. (laughs) A nice date night meal. I actually don't know what a fava bean is. I don't either. It doesn't sound good. (laughs) You should look it up. Okay, hold on. Avicia fava, also known in the culinary sense as the broad bean, fava bean, or fava bean, is a species of flowering plant in the pea and bean family. So it's like just a bean. Yeah, just a bean. Ew, it's a big bean. (laughs) It looks like it would be like so starchy, like hard to chew. Yeah. Ew. (laughs) So let me get this straight. He just talked about eating a human being, but it's the fava bean that you're disgusted by. No, I'm just saying that I, all around, not a great meal. Because I'm not even also a wine drinker, so <laughs> it's just it's a disappointing meal all the way around. So you're just going to pass. Yeah. Earlier I said good meal, date night meal. I'm taking it all back. Okay. So Lecter is screaming at Clarice and she gets out of there and starts running away. And Miggs wants to show her how much he likes her. Oh, no. It's disgusting. I hate this scene. He flings a little something something at her. And now she has a DNA sample. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he passes it off by saying like what he wants to shake her. What does he say? He wants to shake her hand or something like that. No, he says, look at the blood. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he said that he cut himself. Yeah, and then the unfortunate happened, which I made a note about. I did say, uh, just to the face from a stranger is a no thanks. (laughs) Yep, pretty pretty much. Uh, But Lecter hears what happens and calls her back and I guess feels bad about it and says he's going to help her, but only if she helps him first And he tells her to go find Miss Moffat, who is an old patient of his. 
So then Clarice goes back to Quantico and we get a lovely little training montage. And then Clarice learns that Miggs is dead. The cause? Lecter talked him to death and he swallowed his own tongue. It happens. That's how much of a badass Hannibal Lecter is. He can literally talk someone to death. Yeah. There you go. So Clarice tracks down Lecter's Miss Muffet, and it leads her to an old storage unit, and she finds a head in a jar. Just, you, you know, I mean, what do you have in your storage unit? Um, at least two or three heads in jars. So that wasn't surprising to me. In fact, I was like, mm, amateur. <laughs> <laughs> well, this head in a jar uh, of Miss Moffat uh, actually has a five o'clock shadow. Uh, and it turns out Hester Moffat was just an anagram and Clarice goes running back to Lecter. So it turns out Moffat was really Benjamin Raspail and Lecter swears he didn't kill him. I mean, I'd believe him. Yeah, he's trustworthy. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, he alludes to the fact that Benjamin might be Buffalo Bill's first victim. So Lecter offers to help on the Buffalo Bill case if she brings the case file to him. In exchange, he wants to be transferred to another facility so he can have a view. I mean, is that too much to ask? I don't think so. I mean, look who we're dealing with. Nice guy. Doesn't ask for too much. He's an all-around great fellow. <laughs> I mean, so he has specific dietary needs. Don't we all? Gluten-free, keto, and Hannibal the Cannibal has his. <laughs> yeah, another thing about this scene um, that I actually made a note about, and he says to her, you've stopped bleeding. Um, and it's because she cut herself getting into the storage unit where she found this jar and I just thought that that was so creepy the simple I mean it's three words but she had previously been bleeding on her leg and he just said you've stopped bleeding yeah it's almost like you get a vampire vibe off of him yeah you know he has that very you know just that cold stare that Mm -hmm. almost looks through you and Mm -hmm. it almost has a sense of mind control because he's so good at at reading people and kind of quote-unquote sensing the room you know and then yeah it's almost like he has this heightened sense where Mm -hmm. he could tell when she's bleeding and when it stopped it's yeah it's really really effective yeah and i think that only just lends more credence to how effective it is he is at playing so inhuman oh yeah he was phenomenal in this role Mm mm-hmm well, next up, we meet Bill's next victim, and she is rocking out to some Tom Petty, American Girl. Yeah, I actually really like this scene because I think it's a nice transitional scene before we're introduced to yet another villain we have in the movie. Unfortunately, it's it's not <laughs> going to result in anything too great, but I do like this scene because I think it it is a good portrayal of, you know, the quote unquote all-American girl at that time. Well, yeah, it, it's a way to establish a connection with someone that you're going to need to empathize with very shortly mm-hmm. and in a very short amount of time. And so here we have her. She's just rocking out in her car and she's singing along and having a good time. And you see her get home and she's just getting out her groceries. So, you know, she's just an average person, just like you and me going about daily life and And here you have this little moment where she sees her cat and they have like this little 
greeting kind of thing where he hops in the window. Mm -hmm. And so now you have this little connection of having this connection to a pet. So, you know, this must be a good person. Mm -hmm. So we're going to need to root for them. Yeah. And I think she, I think she says his name is Cheaper. Cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very cute. Well, that cute moment doesn't last very long because here's Bill putting on his best Ted Bundy. Yeah, that was something I noted as well. Just immediately noticed uh, the nod to Bundy right there with the broken arm kidnapping scene. Yep, he's just a guy struggling to try and get this chair in the back of his van. And he has a quote-unquote broken arm. And she, she struggles. She thinks about it, whether or not to be the Good Samaritan. And you're just, oh, you're hoping that she makes the right decision and just keeps walking. But of course she doesn't, and she offers to help. So back at Quantico, Starling is pulled off of training because it looks like they got a Buffalo Bill-type situation. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And it is, because one of Buffalo Bill's previous victims has been found in a river. So Crawford and Clarice fly out to investigate. They then meet up with the sheriff of whatever podunk town they're in. And then Crawford pulls the biggest dick move and tells the sheriff he doesn't want to talk about certain sex crimes in front of Clarice. And she's left standing there with about 20 male cops giving her the stink eye. And it is just the most awkward scene. Yeah, it's it's like almost humiliating just because... She's there trying to do her job just like everybody else. Yeah, and of course, it's the same thing we saw earlier uh, when Clarice is on the elevator, you know, and she's surrounded by all those men. Or there was a scene when they were showing one of the training montages, and she's jogging with another female trainee, and they pass a group of male trainees. And of course, after they pass, all the males turn around and gawk at them. So it's this thing that Jonathan Demi has masterfully done where he includes these moments to showcase Clarice's vulnerability, not just in her pursuit of Buffalo Bill, you know, as a human being where that's scary to go up against a serial killer or in her interactions with Lecter, but also in her vulnerability as a woman in the very male dominated field of law enforcement. You know, it, it just shows how that is an additional struggle for her. Yeah, and especially at the time. I mean, it was, at that time, 1991, it, it was better than, you know, say, the 70s or 80s when it comes to women being in the male workforces. But you compare it to today, yeah, it still wasn't as female-driven as it is today. And so, yeah, I think he did a really good job at establishing that role of showing you how small she was made to feel every single day she came in and was dealing with those guys on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, in the making of this film, it was kind of done with, I guess you'd say, the blessing of the FBI. They they had consultants and stuff come in. and But they also viewed this... Uh, they hoped that this film would actually help them start to recruit more female agents. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there are many female FBI agents now, but I'd be really curious to know if any of them actually became an FBI agent 
because of watching this film. Yeah, that would be really interesting to know. Because certainly Clarice Starling is a very inspirational character, but then on the other hand, this is a terrifying thing she went through. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, I don't think I want to do that job. <laughs> you know, actually, I'm good. <laughs> I thought about it, but I think I'm okay now. Well, the next scene is where I learned that whole Vicks vapor rub trick where you put that under the nose if you're around something that's stinky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because they are attending the autopsy of the victim that was found in the river. And they discover something in her throat. There is one really cool moment here where they are removing... Uh, the thing in the throat turns out to be a cocoon, but we get this close-up shot of them pulling it out of the throat of the corpse. And just as they remove it, you hear this slight uh, yeah. exhale. And it's kind of like that cocoon was blocking her airway and holding that last breath. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a super creepy moment. Yeah, I this whole scene I think is super creepy because this is really, I mean, beyond some of like photos that we've seen in the uh, department, you know, at the FBI and everything. This is really the first time that we're introduced to some of Buffalo Bill's work, and it's some crazy stuff. And and yeah, that that part is so spooky. And then you combine that with the really gross scenes of like the fingernails and the the lacerations on the body. It's just it's a really well done scene, but it's a pretty intense one too. Yeah, it really is. And then of course the last thing we find, they flip her over and there are these two really odd oblong areas of skin that have been removed from the victim's back. But our next scene, we switch immediately to Bill's lair. Uh, It's this basement area and he is sewing naked as you do. Yeah. While the girl he kidnapped uh, is down in a pit in his basement. Mm-hmm. Is that a normal thing? Do lots of people have pits in their basement? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, oddly enough, I and I've never been able to figure this out, Oklahoma do, does not have a lot of basement homes or homes with basements. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We don't have a lot of basements here, but you would think being in Tornado Alley, yeah. that that would be a standard practice, but it but it isn't. I've, I've actually never lived anywhere that had a basement. I think that I heard it, it that they originally didn't do it because of flooding, but I could be wrong. I, I looked at a house with my ex uh, that had a basement. And I said, no, because <laughs> it's not creepy, right? I'm doing laundry down there. Did that basement have a pit? It did not. It had a washer and dryer, so not the same thing. In a pit? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. Well, okay, I'll be honest. It could have had a pit. I didn't walk all the way down. Oh, okay. I just saw the washer and dryer, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do laundry down there, so. so this is a no. So you might, probably just didn't get to the pit room yet. Yeah, probably not. Could have okay. been tucked in there. All right, well... Uh, All the pits are tucked away, though. That's always the key. You don't leave your pit <laughs> wide out in the open. Everyone knows, tuck your pit. <laughs> that is true. It's the old saying. <laughs> well, Bill does have this young lady in his pit, uh, but it turns out he probably picked the wrong one because this is Catherine Martin, who's the daughter of a United States senator. 
so I think he's kind of screwed up because now every FBI agent is going to be looking for her. Yeah, mistakes were definitely made. So this sends Clarice back to Lecter, and she says that Senator Martin has agreed to make Lecter a deal. If he helps catch Bill and get Catherine back alive, he'll get a transfer and a week's vacation at the beach. So nice. Isn't that lovely? Everybody wants a beach vacation. I mean, honestly, that's more than I get every year, so. Of course, it would be on, like, this tiny, completely deserted island and he would be covered by, like, military snipers the whole time. But that would still be relaxing, right? That that would be fine. I'd feel safe, at least. I'd know that nobody could, like, rob me on vacation. True. So, win-win. You wouldn't get much privacy while you're in your moo-moos, but... <laughs> because everyone needs a good privacy moo-moo. Well, you know, on vacation, you have your, like, vacation moo-moos. I think everybody have those. Why not have a daily moo-moo? That's actually a really good question. That's something that I've been meaning to bring up, thinking that maybe it's something we should enforce. My grandmother used to wear them. My grandma still wears them. <laughs> My grandma still wears <laughs> My grandma still wears them. <laughs> Just like, is her name Stills? My grandma Stills, she wears them. Good old Stills. <laughs> good old Stillsy Stills. <laughs> Stillster. <laughs> We're in her moomoos. LOL, her name's Martha. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lecter agrees, but only if Clarice agrees to give him his quid pro quo, which is kind of like tit for tat. You do something for me, I do something for you. So she ends up telling him how the worst moment of her life is when her dad died when she was 10. And she went to go live on a cousin's farm that raised sheep and horse, but ended up running away. In return, Lecter ends up telling her that Billy is not a real transsexual, but they'll be able to track him by checking those who have applied for reassignment surgery. And then we're back in Bill's lair, and we get one of the most famous scenes of all time. And it has to do with lotion in a basket. That's it. Lotion in a basket. (laughs) So, of course, it puts the lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again. It's pretty simple. This scene is so terrifying for everything that it implies. Yeah, I remember, again, the first time that I saw that, realizing the implications. I think it was, you know, a couple of beats after the fact. (laughs) I remember sitting there just being like, Am I okay to be watching this? Like, should we turn this off now? Because I am getting uncomfy with what's happening here. <laughs> but it's a, it is a really effective scene without having to get into a whole lot of gore and everything like that. But still being able to really be effectively horrifying at setting up the idea of what is to come in the watcher's mind. Yeah, because... It- you know, the, the thought of someone murdering you, of course, is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But the thought of someone dragging that out and, in a sense, torturing you mm-hmm. beforehand is even worse. Yeah. She's literally in, like, this stone pit with a dirt floor and is, like, chained to the wall. 
and here's this man screaming at her that she has to put lotion on. I mean, how just disturbing is that? Yeah. You know, why does she need to put lotion on? Why is that important? Yeah, and not only that, I mean, she's kind of uh, investigating the pit that she's in, and whenever he lowers the basket, there's a flashlight on it, and she notices fingernails in the walls of the pit. Yeah, blood and fingernails, and she just freaks out and just starts screaming mm-hmm. and it, it almost just goes catatonic and i i cannot imagine not just being catatonic the whole time yeah yeah i i just feel like i i am not i'm not the go-to person in a high stress high panic situation no so um i physically shut down <laughs> yeah it, it's like just curl up into a ball yeah my body says no thanks and either goes to sleep or has a panic attack so well it turns out old skeevy chilton was listening in on clarice and lecter's conversation and he called the senator and she had never heard of a deal so it turns out the fbi done played lecter not good news but dr chilton did get lecter but dr chilton did go ahead and get Lecter a deal with the senator, but only if he tells them immediately who Buffalo Bill is. Lecter tells him he'll only tell the senator in person, which means now they have to transfer him. And so here we get Lecter in his infamous straitjacket and mask being rolled in on a dolly. They can't, they're so afraid of him, they can't even let him walk. I honestly think that really more people should offer to roll people around on dollies. (laughs) I think it's kind of rude that nobody's offered to do that for me. Well, I wonder if they could put them, like, on a Segway type thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with either or. I think it's kind of... And, I mean, I don't know. Kind of comforting. You have the straight jacket on. (laughs) Giving yourself a little hug. (laughs) On a dolly being rolled around. The mask I could really do without. I'll do, like, a, a mouth mask situation because you know we're in a Panera Bread situation going on but the other mask I think I'm good without that but everything else sounds kind of cozy I could take a nap (laughs) yeah it would uh it it would be snug as a bug in a rug (laughs) exactly you get it well they arrive at their destination for this clandestine meeting with the senator I guess they're just in a big airplane hangar And Chilton is supposed to sign him over, but uh, mysteriously, his pen is missing. Perhaps this is a bit of foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we have some clever back and forth between Lecter and the senator. And Lecter eventually admits that Buffalo Bill is someone named Louis Friend. Uh, And then Lecter makes a comment about the senator's nipples and tells her he loves her suit. Yeah, the, the nipple comment made me feel uncomfortable it was meant to (laughs) it was it oh it was so it felt slimy but also like he put her down you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah and it was just like so unnecessarily aggressive of a statement (laughs) well now lector is being held in some weird cage in like the middle of a ballroom where are they i don't i I don't know what this room is. It, it looks like there's like historical stuff on the walls. 
I don't know where we are. That's his vacation room. (laughs) Well, Clarice comes to see him, and finally we get one of the most misquoted quotes in in movie history. Uh, Most people think that the quote is, Hello, Clarice. But it's not. It's, Good evening, Clarice. Which I still, even though we just watched it, in my head, I always am going to hear, Hello, Clarice. I feel like somebody went in and redubbed all the copies of The Silence of the Lambs with Good Evening. Well, they did end up finally doing it in either the second or the third one, but that was just kind of a, an inside joke from the writers because they knew that everybody always, already, you know, was misquoting it gotcha. from the first one. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, everyone always says, hello, Clarice. That's so funny. Well, of course, Lewis' friend turns out to be a fake name, So now Clarice has showed up to visit Lecter so she can get the real name, but she has to pay for that info, and now she has to finish telling her story about why she no longer lived on the ranch owned by her cousin. And it turns out she couldn't save a little lamb and got sent to an orphanage. I mean, it was a little more complicated than that, but here we are. (laughs) You get the gist. It was very sad. Lambs are screaming. Lecter now thinks he has some sort of leverage over her. Yeah, he's going to taunt her with lambs every day. Send little stuffed animal lambs to her house. (laughs) Get singing lambs to come to her door. Calls her up. (laughs) Not so silent anymore. (laughs) Can you hear me now? (laughs) Well, Chilton comes in and spoils everything, and Clarice never gets her answer about who Bill is, but she does get her case file back. So next we see the guards come in to bring Lecter his food. And Lecter is, I guess, sitting on the toilet behind like a little privacy screen. And he just regurgitates uh, a part of that pen he stole from Chilton. Just, you know, just kind of pops it up. Yeah, no biggie. Just storing it for later. (laughs) Well, he ends up using that pen piece to get out of his cuffs uh, and he has himself a guard's face for dinner. Yeah, he decided, switching it up tonight, guys. <laughs> it looks like he went right for the nose. Yeah. It might have been the tongue. Either way. It's bad news. He was mm-mm-mm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, after biting the dude's face off, he then proceeds to beat the ever-loving shit out of that other guard. Mm-hmm. Just that whole, the way that it's shot to where Lecter is standing over the camera and it's almost like you are the recipient of these blows. And he's just, it's hard to describe because it's not in slow motion, but just his movements. You know, they they made a comment earlier about that person whose tongue he, he ate who got too close to the glass. You know, they said about how his... Blood pressure never got above 85. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like that here. It's just like he's so calm about yeah. everything. Yeah, you never see him begin to act manic or, I mean, even though his actions are erratic and, and like it seems like he's acting wild, you, you never see that in his face. You never see that like in his breathing or anything like that. He's, like I said, just so even keeled and. Yeah, it's so it's so unsettling. Well, he takes a pocket knife off the beaten guard and heads toward the other cop who's 
face, tongue, whatever, lips he bit off, who has crawled off camera. So now we switch to the lobby of the building of where wherever Lecter's being held, and we've got a bunch of cops down in the lobby. Uh, it's obvious that they're taking security very seriously, having Lecter in this building. Well, all of a sudden, the elevator starts to come down, and the cops go apeshit. They're all over the radio. They're like, uh, who's up on this floor? Who's, is anyone on the elevator? What's happening? Mm -hmm. Do we have sight on this person? Why is no one responding? And it just becomes chaos. They're freaked out. They don't know what is happening. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this really super tense moment because now we don't know what happened. How much time has passed between when we see Lecter walk off screen with a pocket knife to when this elevator starts to come down. Well, the elevator opens up and no one's in there. So they all head upstairs and they enter the room where Lecter was being held. And you get just this amazing imagery with one of the guards who has been strung up across the cage where Lecter was being held. Mm-hmm. And his arms are stretched out and there is like a a red, white, and blue banner that has been draped around his shoulders and it makes it look like he has wings and his chest and abdomen have been sliced open and he's flayed open and it's just this stunning sight Mm -hmm. and you've finally seen the true horror of who Hannibal Lecter really is. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching it and, and thinking to myself... Um, I think I even made a note about it. Curious about if the way that they hung him, you know, with those wings and stuff like that, is that supposed to be, again, another symbolism of the moth? Because the moth is is Bill's thing. So I didn't know if that was just random. You know, I didn't know what kind of imagery, if if there was any from that scene. I've never heard anything specific. To me, it's just kind of like an angel of death kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's just, it's so striking the way that it's backlit. Mm -hmm. It is. Well, obviously, that cop didn't make it, but it turns out the other cop that he had severely beaten is still alive. Mm -hmm. But his face is, of course, hamburger meat. It is all kinds. Yeah, uh, fucked up. But Lecter is missing. But the EMTs arrive and get the guard out of the building. But as they're moving down the elevator, blood starts to drip down from the ceiling. And this is another tense moment. Mm -hmm. Everybody's moving very slowly. Yeah. Uh, And you have another officer on the radio, but he's pretending like everything is fine. Nothing to see here. And they don't want to let on that they know that someone's up there. Yeah. Well, it turns out the body on the roof is Lecter, and they prove this by shooting him in the leg, and the dude doesn't flinch. But meanwhile, back on the ambulance transporting the guard, turns out that's not the guard. No, this is the scene where we have probably one of the most epic face reveals ever. (laughs) Yeah, we get our twist, and it turns out... It wasn't Lecter's body that was on top of the elevator dead. It was the guard that he beat to death. And who's in the ambulance? Uh, It's Lecter himself. And he manages off screen to escape. And now he's on the run. 
Next up, we get a quick little transition scene uh, where we see Bill uh, working in his little sewing room on uh, a little pet project. We're, we're not quite sure what it is yet, uh, but he's doing some sewing, maybe with some leather. Yeah, he's a man with hobbies. Yeah, he certainly is. Uh, but then back at Quantico, Clarice and a friend, roommate, I don't know who she is, they're going through Lecter's notes uh, from the case file that he was allowed to see on Buffalo Bill. And they end up figuring out that Bill must have known his last victim, the girl that washed up in the river that had the moth in her throat. So Clarice is off to her hometown and visits the girl's father, but while looking through the girl's room, she finds some Polaroids of the girl in her underwear hidden in a music box. But she also sees a pattern on a dress hanging in the closet. And immediately, this reminds her of the marks that she saw on the back of the corpse during the autopsy, those odd oblong shapes. Well, they match this pattern that someone has who has been sewing this dress. And so now we know what Buffalo Bill's little pet project is. And he's making a woman's suit. Yeah, sadly, he wasn't making another dress. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole different kind of dress. Yeah. Not one that I'd probably buy. He starts making dresses for Hollywood. <laughs> Those women walk the red carpet. Who are you wearing? Oh, a little bit of everyone. <laughs> Gross. Just kidding, I love it. So Clarice calls Crawford because she's all excited. She she thinks this is her big break. She's trying to explain that this is someone that knew her and he, what he's doing. The fact that he's making this people suit uh, is significant. But Crawford basically stops her because... They think they found him. They have an address for him, and they're flying there right now. But he's sorry that Clarice couldn't be there to make the bus, but he appreciates all of her help on the case. Meanwhile, back in Bill's lair, we get the infamous hidden dick scene. Yeah, this one is, is really something else. It is something, and of course, it's a scene that pretty much everybody always remembers. Yeah. And every single girlfriend or wife turns to their significant other and says, "Do you do that? Does have you ever done that?" <laughs> <laughs> and they all say, "Yes. <laughs> Everyone has done it at least once." But the truly disturbing thing about this scene is it's all while he is looking directly into the camera mm -hmm. because he's supposed to be recording himself so now we become kind of the viewer of what he's recording yeah and he's doing that by looking directly into the camera and so he it's it's like he's looking directly at us and again it's just very unnerving yeah he's like dancing and yeah like dead eye staring at us it's just uncomfortable yeah th this movie just does a fantastic job of just giving you that unrelenting feeling of uneasiness mm -hmm. well meanwhile as bill's doing his little performance catherine in the pit has been trying to lure precious into the well and clarice is continuing her investigation and talks to a friend of frederica the young girl who was bill's last victim 
Uh, it turns out sewing was her life. And there was a woman named Miss Lippet that is someone they used to work with to do alterations. So then we have this great scene where we're going back and forth between where the FBI is moving in on this Jamie Gum and Catherine trying to get uh, Precious into the well and succeeding and luring Bill and he's freaking out and yelling and then we have the bell ringing and the FBI is ringing the bell disguised as a flower delivery person and Bill's still freaking out and Catherine's screaming. And it's just this very chaotic moment. And you think the FBI has found their guy and Bill goes up to answer the door. But it turns out it's not the FBI. It's Clarice. Yeah. And he also has the loudest doorbell ever. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> well, you have to remember he's down in this crazy basement area that is mm-hmm. so huge. Uh, but he's got something rigged up so he can hear, I guess, when someone comes to his door. Yeah, it sounds like a school bell. Yeah, well, of course, this means that the FBI, they had the right name, but the wrong address. And they are in the wrong place and Clarice is in the right one because this is Miss Lippmann's house. This is who Frederica used to work for. And so that's how Bill knew her because Bill was her son. But then we get the line that sticks out to me the most from this movie. And that's when Clarice is at the door and is talking to Bill, not knowing immediately who he is, uh, and ask if he remembered Frederica. And he admitted that she had worked with his mom, but (laughs) at first he couldn't remember her. But then he says, uh, was she a great big fat person? (laughs) And, you know, Ted Levine, he's got that voice, Mm -hmm. you know, just the real deep voice (laughs) and the way he kind of mumbles it. I don't know. It's just always gotten stuck in my head. But also she was a fucking size 14. Yeah. And we're acting like. She should be on my 600 pound life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a fucking size 14. That's nothing. (laughs) But anyway, Bill goes in to get a card for Clarice for, I don't know, like a forwarding address or something. I don't remember what it was for. And so she makes the really stupid decision to walk into the house because the further she walks in, the more she starts to kind of feel uneasy and she's not really liking what he's saying he's starting to sound a little suspicious and then she sees a moth and it's game on because anytime you see a moth you know buffalo bill is near (laughs) as the legend goes (laughs) no but of course we know because of the clue of the moth in the throat we Mm -hmm. know that this guy's into moths here we have a moth in the house here we got guy acting all suspicious But now also Bill can tell that she knows. Mm -hmm. And so he takes off and he goes into the basement. And of course, now she has to follow. And the whole time you're thinking, oh my God, no one knows you're here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now Clarice is walking through this labyrinth of a basement. I don't understand. It's like a whole underground town. Why are there so many rooms down here? I don't know. He wasn't satisfied with just the pit, I guess. I mean, was it always like this? Is this something he's been digging and adding to? It's just, it's, it's crazy. I just don't understand basements. (laughs) (laughs) I really didn't think they were this big, but 
this scene, it just, it starts to get so tense because she's tense and she's terrified Mm -hmm. and she doesn't know where he is. And it's a very confusing place. There's like weird little corridors and doors that go into other rooms. And she finally comes across the room where she sees the suit. It's hanging up. It is there almost complete for her viewing pleasure. And this whole journey through this underground with Catherine screaming in the background and there's also music playing and it's it's coming in and out as she's opening different doors and I guess different rooms have speakers and it's very again unsettling and you feel like you're following someone through a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. And then we get a little jump scare when Clarice finds Bill's mom. She whips aside a shower curtain and here she is in a bathtub where I guess she was just left to decay and she's basically in her own juices. Mm-hmm. Juicy mama. <laughs> Oddly, also what they called her in life. <laughs> what up, Juicy mama? <laughs> She was the hit of the neighborhood. She was she was the mom who put the peanut butter and jelly all the way to the edge nice. of the crust. Every neighborhood need one. <laughs> and this one, it was Juicy Mama. Well, just when we thought the basement of horrors couldn't get any worse, the damn lights go out. And we now go into... Literally one, the worst part. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Terrifying absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. i don't think i breathe when i watch this scene ever no i even put in my notes uh the night vision scene i would just like to say that i would pass away (laughs) just just literally stop yeah go all right you win i'm done yeah and just unalive myself right there well of course now we're seeing everything from bill's point of view and he's looking at her through night vision goggles And she cannot see a thing. And so we are watching her and here she is just feeling around and trying to find her way. And Bill is right behind her the entire time. And it's just, oh my God, when he reaches his hand Mm -hmm. out, oh my God, I just want to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the scene is so tense. She's, like you said, you can hear her kind of rapid breathing and she's trying to feel around for you know a light switch or something and obviously we all know that she's in the pitch dark and that's just scary as it is and and then yeah it's just i can't nope i would i would pass away there's no way there's no way well it gets even worse because now he holds a gun up Mm -hmm. and he's holding it right at the back of her head and you're like oh my god your your asshole is in full pucker yeah because you just know she's going to get shot in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. But then he cocks the hammer back. Yeah. And Clarice's super hearing kicks in and she just whips around and she just keeps firing. Yeah. Until there are no more bullets to fire. Mm-hmm. Just bang, 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 bang. <laughs> and she gets them and she also ends up breaking a window uh, in the basement. And so now light comes in and she can now see. Uh, but Bill goes out a little slowly, chokes a little bit on his own blood, uh, but he is gone. Yeah, that's a very satisfying feeling to that scene. Because, yeah, I know when that scene happens where he cocks the hammer, yeah, it, I know the very first time that I saw that I did, I, I like gasped a little bit because 
uh, you don't know where that scene's going to take you. And it is, it's so stressful. So yeah, when that scene ends, it, it it's like, you're, you're rattled. <laughs> this movie just leaves you rattled in a good way. It's so enjoyable, but yeah, there's no way to leave this movie not a little shaken up. Absolutely. I mean, this movie actually was, seemed very realistic to me. It, it seemed like it was a, you were following more of a documentary kind of thing because mm-hmm. you, you got to see some of the crime scene photos when she was back at Quantico and that all looked real and you're seeing part of an autopsy. And so, yeah, it, it it's kind of like you've had this real experience and, and it affects you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, in our epilogue scene, we see Clarice finally graduate and now she is special agent Starling. And afterwards they have, uh, a, a gathering, a get together, a uh, very formal. You can tell it's like, uh, in one of the buildings on campus or something. And Clarice gets a phone call at this after party. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that seem weird when they do those kind of things in movies? Yeah. Like, who knew you were here? Who knew specifically which phone to call mm-hmm. in this very official building on the campus in Quantico? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's a phone call and it is from Dr. Lecter. And he just called to let her know he has some dinner plans. Yeah, going to catch up with an old friend. An old friend. So it turns out he has followed smarmy Dr. Chilton to some tropical destination. uh, And it's implied that uh, he's on the menu for tonight. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good way to kind of end off this movie. Because when you're watching it, I think they, they really lead you to the point to believe where this FBI graduation scene is going to be the end. And while, yes, that's good, we like to see... Um, our main character kind of end on a good note and wrapped up with the bow and everything like that. I think we all would have been left with a plot hole if we didn't know what happened to Lecter. You of know course. what I mean? Yes. So yeah, I'm so glad that they wrapped that up the way that they did. And it just left us with a note of like, like you said, that realistic note of, yeah, he is a real killer and isn't going to stop. You know, he's maniacal and evil and is just going to keep going. And yeah. It just is so so creepy, and just, <laughs> this movie is so good. So good. Yeah, there is a reason why this is one of my favorites. I love the way this movie is shot. The performances are just absolutely outstanding across the board. The atmosphere that is created throughout that just instills you with this feeling of dread the entire time. It's so very well done. Yeah, and I know that you've told me before that it was one of your favorite movies, and I don't think I realized how much so. I even wrote in my notes uh, that you quoting Hannibal was probably one of my new favorite things. Because <laughs> you do it with, like, hand motions and everything, too, and it's 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 really fun. Well, if you're going to do it, you you do it right. Oh, yeah. I love that you go all in. You don't half-ass it. And you should never expect any less. (laughs) Well, all right. We got some categories to get to. So what was your favorite popcorn spiller? I think for me, uh, it was really that first scene that we're introduced 
to really Bill and his uh, atmosphere. I know that we're introduced to him originally in the kidnapping scene, but really being seeing him down in the basement, naked, sewing, as much as I really, you know, from the get-go, we're introduced to such strong characters, Hannibal and Starling. I think seeing Bill for the first time in his element and just being creepy and weird as fuck, I think from the first time I saw that, every time I that scene comes up, it's just like, gives you chills. Because you know, now we're really being introduced to our second baddie. And not mm-hmm. only that, is now we're dealing with two very bad baddies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not dealing with good guys at all. So yeah, I think that's it for me. Just that beginning scene of, here we go. And <laughs> we're getting started all over again. What about for you? Well, I kind of have a two-part answer. If if you had asked me when I originally saw this movie, it definitely would have been when Lecter pops up in that ambulance. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and not that the popping up was necessarily all that scary, but the fact that this wasn't the guard and it is indeed Lecter. Yeah. Uh, I, I really that it took me off guard and it really surprised me. And I thought it was a great, great kind of startling moment of, Oh my God, that's not him. He's not dead. Mm-hmm. And now you knew that he was loose and on the run and we know he's such a terrible person. And this is very, very bad. Yeah. Yeah. But now that I know the twist, it is for sure when Bill is behind Clarice with that night vision, that yeah. scene, oh my God, it gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree. That scene is is one of the ones that never ceases to creep me out. <laughs> what about your scene stealer for this movie? Without a doubt, it's got to be Hannibal Lecter. I, he's just such an amazing character. Yeah, I agree. That's actually who I have as well. I just basically wrote down that his ability to command the room and and doing so to his advantage, even though it's very, very creepy and, like I said, makes everybody else feel (laughs) annoyingly uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah, we can't help but notice him. And yeah, I absolutely agree. He steals the scene anytime he's on screen. Well... I think the reason why he's so effective and, you know, he was Hannibal Lecter was voted as the number one villain in movie history by uh, the American Film Institute. Uh, And the reason I think that he's so effective is he has that Edmund Kemper Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. effect to him. Yeah, that kind of high IQ weird ego that it's like they know they're smart but they also kind of are oblivious to how they're treating you at the same time yeah they're just one of those fascinating characters and and for those of you who don't know who edmund kemper is uh he is a serial killer uh they called him the co-ed killer and there's a very famous interview with him and he was highly intelligent and fascinating to listen to. And that's kind of the thing with Lecter is you're just mesmerized mm-hmm, by him. Mm-hmm. And you just want to sit and listen to him and talk to him. But yet you are absolutely terrified of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that nails it. I definitely Ed Kemper's demeanor, I think, is exactly spot on. So what about your gorgasm? What was your favorite effect? 
Um, I think I gotta say for my favorite effect, and <laughs> it's gonna sound so minuscule, but it's a scene that I noticed every single time that I watched it. Uh, but back at the FBI office, at the very beginning of the movie, they start showing the photos up on the bulletin board. Um, there's the photos of the body skinned, and specifically the photos of like the arms, where like the hand is still intact, but from like the wrist up to the shoulder is skin. Uh huh. I don't know why, but every single time that photo specifically always gives me the creeps, and I always look for it. It's one of those things where it's like I can't look away. It, I know that it always gives me like goosebumps every time I see it, but still, every time I see the movie, I always look for that photo. It's like I like to torture myself, I guess. <laughs> but it's so well done because I look for it every single time, even though I know it's going to gross me out. But I don't know why, because there's a lot of other bigger things that happen in this movie that could easily go into that category. But it's just that weird specific photo that, that creeps me out. So I, I felt like I needed to give it a mention. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't think you have to feel ashamed about finding that gross or not. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the realism in this movie and, and how much of a good job they did making this feel like. It's it's almost documentary-like, and that mm-hmm. included that whole little scene where she is seeing those crime scene photos of these victims and yeah they look very real and they're very disturbing Mm -hmm. and of course the the rest of the movie we know it's all just movie magic and so we can convince ourselves in our heads that it's just all fake but when you see those pictures and they look so real you know and you and i are so fascinated by true crime that they would make total sense that that would be something that would be kind of off-putting to you yeah yeah that that's that explains it for sure what about for you oh mine has to be that guard flayed out with the wings oh yeah yeah yeah. it was just such a stunning visual it's almost breathtaking Mm -hmm. and it's so hard for your mind to wrap around because you almost want to say it's beautiful Mm -hmm. but it is so horrific that it's it's almost like you're brain doesn't know how to process this it is simply just amazed by it because do i say wow this is beautiful or do i you know shudder in fear Mm -hmm. yeah i think the reason with that scene is is because the brain notices the beauty of that scene first before it focuses on the details which is the fact that the guy is dead and his body is flayed in half but yeah I, i i gotta agree with you it's an intense scene but it's really well done Next up on our list is a memorable mortality. Do you have one for this one? Mine is when Lecter beats that guard. What Sir Anthony Hopkins did in that moment was absolutely outstanding. Just the way he's able to maintain this look of calm and composure, but yet still get across in his eyes. You know, if you just look at those eyes, they widen just slightly enough to kind of see that manic nature but only slightly he's not going to show it all to you because he still has to maintain control Mm -hmm. but he'll let you see just slightly that this is my true nature this is your glimpse of my beast and it's so well done so what about for you what was your most memorable mortality well for me it was um the night vision scene just the ending scene with bill It's, like I said before, a really good relief scene that I felt like needed to happen after that intense scene. 
um, with the night vision goggles. Uh, and it's one that I always am anticipating every time I watch the movie. Yeah. Like you said, it's just such a satisfying conclusion. Uh, it's kind of like all has been restored and everything is safe in the world again. Mm-hmm. Well, I still got to ask the question, is it going in the vault or do we leave it behind in the dead zone? I think once again, this one is being met with absolutely, definitely, 100% yes. It's going in the vault. This is a modern classic for a reason. It does everything right. Like you said, it's so realistic. It do- it does the psychological thriller genre so well. And I think it establishes a lot of standards for that genre, too. And I just, I can't sing its praises enough. I, I really feel like it held up over time, rewatching it now in my adulthood versus... Uh, my childhood, and I really think that it's got to go in the vault. There's no question. Yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time, without a doubt, going in the vault. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode number three is... In the Can. In the Can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through our hometown. Also, don't forget to check out the link tree URL in our show notes. Check out our socials and our letterbox so you can keep up with all the movies we're watching. Lastly, be sure to check us out next week as we'll be watching Nosferatu. And again, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. They were shredding last weekend and closed with two encores. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend showing... If you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. But it looks like green popcorn. Yeah, and beans shouldn't look like that. It can look like whatever it wants to, but it doesn't look like a bean, which is the issue. Yeah, a bean shouldn't look like that. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.